one of these um, points that Adam ended the text with as far as the descriptive paragraph there of one who is aging. We'll look at each of them, but from kind of the larger footprint of the text, which has been read for you, you witness quite reasonably so that the preacher is giving a rather positive word to us this morning, yet it is also strikingly sober. Um, He is naturally piggybacking, if you look at the text from last week, for those of you who were able to be with us, on the comments of risk, of casting that which is of value forward uh, with a forward pursuit that you are looking to a good return. Again, you're taking the long view. There's much to be risked in living life. And now he is naturally piggybacking on the concept of risk by addressing the bookends of life. And we used that example or analogy before as far as the book ends, how he begins and explains what is necessary uh, uh, on one end. He explains the outcome of it also that is necessary for you to grasp. And then he gives you the information of the books on the shelf in order for you to better appreciate both this end and this end of the conversation by giving the information that is in between. And this morning he does the same thing. Now, if you were to think of the passage before on risk and how it piggybacks, or rather how he now piggybacks on it, beginning in verse 7, it is something along the logical lines of this. Life, as you know, is filled with uncertainty. Risk is everywhere. So again, it's simply risk rolling over in the morning and putting your feet on the ground is risk. Uh, Living your life is a test of uncertainties. Yet, so now he's going to speak about life in this way. Yet one should not despair of risk and life's challenges. One should not despair of that. Do not think, what, there's risk? I only operate in the concrete objective. I I in no way can, can, can make any level of risk. I'm overwhelmed by the thought of not knowing every piece that is in front of me. I'm frozen in time. He is saying, because we're speaking of risk, the outcome that he is urging you is not to despair of it as a reality. Neither should one also, on the other hand, so one is despairing of the thought of risk, that life is is an uncertain adventure, But then on the other side, he says, neither should one seek to be in this challengeless existence. Whereas one sits back and overanalyzes and then considers how one can maneuver reality, eliminating risk. So one sits back and he analyzes. The other one sits back and despairs. Because the truth of the matter is for both, we all grasp as humans, life is risk. Preacher says, you cannot eliminate risk. Life is uncertain. So to you who are young and are starting out, let me suggest to you this. Life is constant toil. That's what it is. You know, to the youngest in here, this addresses you most pointedly, and everyone on the trajectory for going forward, all the way to celebrating our 50th. 
Life is filled with constant toil. That's just reality. It's a fact. My words to you, this is kind of the preacher, and I hope to prove it in just a moment. Given that life is constant toil, and it is pregnant with risk at every pass, one should consider his own youthfulness. One should consider his own youthfulness, his place in life, the trajectory of where he is headed, and enjoy every bit of the journey in between. I think if we were to sit back and ask, how many of us feel like high school was yesterday? Many of us, okay, thank you for that hand. I see that hand. Come forward this morning. uh, Yes, yeah, right. Um, Dan, it, it wasn't yesterday <laughs> for you. Right. Um, youth is fleeting. Life is full of toil. It's very complex. It's going to be very turbulent. It's going to be a heavy-hearted business to live life. That's a fact. The exhortation then to you, enjoy it. Let me show you how he considers to exhort us in such a manner as to enjoy every day, beginning today. Wherever we're at on the youthfulness spectrum, consider it and enjoy it. Look at verse 7 through 9. I want to read for you verse 7. Light is sweet. Right? Now, remember, uh, maybe I've broken your concentration from the, how, how this makes sense of what he said, right? So, so, so everyone is sitting there kind of in a perplexed situation. Maybe one is devastated by the thought of risk. In verse 6, he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't know if this or that will prosper. He's already urged, act and trust. Do something. That is, sow your seed. You don't know what's going to become of it. Act in time. Another one is sitting back and thinking, how can I get around risk? How can I eliminate risk? And he is saying, it's impossible. Well, then here we are. What should we do? And he says, enjoy your life. Verse 7, light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of of your youth. Quite simply, before we get to the second portion, just the very first word is quite straightforward. Remember that life is good. Verse 7, he uses a picture here of sweetness, which is a direct reference to honey. Sweetness and pleasure is upon the one who sees the sun. You know, again, maybe we have some sense of reference to that living in Pittsburgh. I do believe that Pittsburgh is the second cloudiest place in the states i might be wrong on that it might be the most cloudy i think so if you're from pittsburgh or general area you know better than i i guess i'm technically from pittsburgh too kind of either way it's cloudy here (laughs) and we know it and 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 you can see the winter doldrums upon people because there's that sense uh, i'm not getting any vitamin d there's just, there's just nothing, there's nothing to get you going because y- you recognize the obvious, right? There is something sweet about the sunlight. 
There is something sweet about the beginning of a new day. He's giving this picture of like the beauty of the sun and yet the sweetness of honey. And he's making it a picture that the two combine to make life good. He's giving you a very forward statement about embracing life and enjoying it as one embraces the sweetness of honey and the honeycomb. Life is good. I know we see that on bumper stickers all over the place, that that life is good platform. Life is good, life is good, life is good. T-shirts and hats and so on and so forth, but how little do we actually stop beyond the advertisement and meditate in difficult times about the simplicity of life and its goodness. He is giving you a picture here then to simply say to you, being alive is a gift from God. Savor it with enthusiasm. How many of us are more destination-oriented? You know, we're looking to the outcomes. I, I, thank you, I see that hand. This is very participatory this morning. Immediate feedback, thank you. Destination-oriented, right? And, and we're kind of geared that way even... From when we're little, right? An entire school year, you think of in a school year, you're always living to some sort of like graduation moment. Like you have A and then you have B as graduation moment. And so I learned to live in the vehicle of objective achievement. I'm looking to go from here to here. I'm hoping to make it to second grade. Okay, great. There's the, there's the objective and you're working each day toward that. But it, do you enjoy the playtime in first grade? Did you have a good time out on the playground today? Well, I'm just hoping to make it to kindergarten graduation. No, that's backwards. You got to go to second grade. You're going first. You get the idea. Life's simplicities are given unto the Lord for our enjoyment. Savor it with enthusiasm. Light is sweet. Now, as he says something so simple and so straightforward, such as combining the sweetness of light and the beauty of light with the sweetness of the honey and telling you to savor life, though there's risk, you might ask the question, preacher, have you forgotten all of the hard things about life that you've been laying out for ten and a half chapters now? We've been dealing with vexing issue after vexing issue, problems with justice, problems with hunger, problems with oppression, problems with lust, problems with all sorts of vanities. And now, here at the end, you're kind of springing on us, isn't life good? Isn't life grand? And perhaps we think, preacher, maybe you have forgotten all of the sermons that you've preached to this point. I'm not referring to myself, I'm referring again to the preacher that is Kohele. And maybe we think he has taken up some sense of naivety. He's forgotten. He's tired at the end of the book. So he's just telling you, I don't know, live your life and enjoy it. And he says, no, that's not what I mean at all. I'm not backing down from any of the complexity that I put before you. All of it stands. Look at verse 8. Like, let me give you an example. If a person lives many years... Okay, so we're already there. Okay, we're in, a, we're in a time capsule of many years. He's standing out and he's looking at that capsule and somebody's in it and the capsule is for many years. His word to this individual is we're all looking into the capsule and we see the person. Let him rejoice in them. And notice the next word in the text. Let him rejoice in them all. 
what am I trying to get at? L- again, put, put the pieces of the text together. It's not like the person lived a good year of their life. Or the person looks backward on a moment in time as when life actually was good. Neither is the person looking forward because right, they're not sure that they're going to live beyond what's right around the corner. So he steps back to you in case you're concerned that he maybe has a very naive view here and he has left behind all the complexities. No, he is looking at it in a span of many years. And he doesn't say to the person we see in the time capsule living in the center of many years underneath him and many years yet to go. He doesn't say to us about this one that this person lives within a scope of many years. I hope he finds his way to enjoy one or two of them. Because if you look back on his history, he had some really good times. He says, I'm looking at the scope of all of what I've said to you. The difficulties, the oppression, the anxieties, the materialism, the emotional injuries, harm, the relationships, the breakdown. I'm looking at all of that. It still stands. And I'm saying to you, enjoy each and every day. Not some of them. Not one or two of them, but how many of them? All of them. So says the preacher, life is filled with toil. As you know, much dysfunctionality abounds. Turbulence is everywhere. However, to the wise, it is also in the midst of turbulence, filled with daily richness sweetness, and simple blessings. The one who takes the time to enjoy them will be increasingly enriched. There's kind of a sentimental song. I should have thought of that to cite for you, but perhaps you've heard of it. It just comes to mind. There's this song. Um, Maybe you won't like it, but... The idea is to live like you were dying. I mean, I really need a show of hands on this. Have you heard this before? Okay, good. Because I'm thinking no one here has even heard it. I'm going backwards, not forward. Um, This idea of the simplicity of life and the idea of not being destination-oriented because something comes into your providence and stops you dead in your tracks. For some, we know family members, some in this room have experienced this, that, and the other. And, and, and cancer seems to be the topic at hand because that's the one typically that stops you dead in your tracks. This is the, the one that the song plays upon. And the idea of all of a sudden, and this is all I'm trying to get at, is all of a sudden, he, he makes this statement in the song. All of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. Okay? And that seems silly, right? I, I get it. But at the same time, do you see what he's saying? All of a sudden, that's not so inconvenient for me to do. Why not? Don't, don't you have to be here? Don't you have to be here? Aren't your, your destination is there. Don't you have this appointment? Don't you have this thing? Like, put, put it in uh, perspective for yourselves. Uh, a, a friend wants to connect. I can't. I'm too busy. It just doesn't make sense for me. I've got to... And those things matter. But if we're driven on by them as though we are owned by outside of us taskmasters who know 
no grace and no mercy. We are servile to simply getting our objectives completed. And everything around us burns down like Rome. What is the return? This person in the narrative song is stopped dead in their tracks with a cancer announcement. And then from there, the person begins to kind of look over their life. and They kind of live the Ecclesiastes life. They savor with enthusiasm each thing in life that was outside of their purview at the time because they were simply driven on by objective accomplishment. But what do you have in the end? This has been the growing theme since the beginning of the book. Life cycles around. It comes and it goes. You're living You're climaxing, and you're dying. And it's not like it's going to last a long time. He puts it consistently in this picture. It's a shadow. What do you hope to have at the end? So much, so badly that you disregard the journey of getting there. He's saying, light is sweet. That is, life is good. Don't simply throw it away on a daily level because you're somehow on a destination quest. Providence is kind. Providence is gracious. God gives good gifts. Or we could say it quite simply, stop and smell the roses. One author makes this comment. He says, quote, sometimes we just simply take life for granted. We don't enjoy the present moments. We would just as soon skip over certain days. I think we've all been there. We might have a list of days right now we're looking to skip. We look forward to the weekend. We look forward to vacation. We look forward to retirement. Amen. How do we know that we won't be on our bed, lying on our back for the golden years? Why, why are we so, it's, it, I'm looking if I can just get the, if I can just get the, if I can just get the, if I can finally wrap this up through these investments and then have the golden age of return upon me. I can sit and relax and I can do it. How do you know you're not dead before then? We're just, we're, we're living like this and the preacher is saying, stop, open up and witness what's before you in a daily grace, in a daily kindness, in daily mercy. To the one who sits and savors life's simplicities, they are deeply enriched. We look forward to retirement. The teacher urges us not to waste a certain day. End quote. Notice then, I want to show you before the text. So with this kind of in mind, one who's fearful about the risk, one who is overanalyzing their life to eliminate risk, and he's simply looking at everyone and saying, just live your life and take time to go fishing. Notice how he urges us on. Because he said this many times, right? He's told us to enjoy our lives many times throughout the book. But he's going to do so in a very distinct picture this morning. uh, Kind of at at that final moment to deeply persuade you to enjoy your life. And it is built on this logic. Which is natural to all of us. Soon you're going to be old and soon you're going to be dead. This is the most graphic he's going to get with us. Right toward the end of the book. Remember, he said several times along the way, enjoy your life, enjoy a good glass of wine, have some friends, 
Have a good time. Enjoy your providence and the stewardship of those who are with you. Enjoy them. And now he's going to say, I mean it. If you have not heard me, hear me now. You are dying and decaying. And soon you will be dead. Notice how he does so with three very specific pieces in the text. And there are three words before. I, I, I have a hard way of saying that. Because what he's going to say is, enjoy your life, as he said. And he's going to do it with three befores, if that makes sense. Let me show you the three befores of what he's getting at about a young person enjoying their youth and wherever you are in that trajectory to simply not waste a single day. Okay, so I'm going to look at the three befores, the very first one, and then we'll come back and we'll deal with verse 9 and, and 10 and so on until 12, 1. We'll get there, but I'm jumping ahead about the logic of what he's pressing upon you from 7 and 8, and that is enjoy your life. Not some days, every day. Find a way to praise the Lord, give thanksgiving for his good gifts in that day. Don't live simply on conclusion terms. So he's saying that in 7, 8. Now jump down with me why he's saying He's saying it with such a vivid and graphic portrait to urge you to embrace his language of 7, 8. He begins in 12, 1 with three befores as he urges you to seize life by the horns. I'll get to the remember also your creator in the days of your youth, but again, look at what he's saying. Live your life, number one, before that first before, you might want to highlight or circle because he's going to give you three of them. That's your very first one. And it is before, quite simply stated, if we are to put this text together, before you get old. Enjoy your life before you get old. That is, there's your destination. You're getting old. You're going to be old. And then you're going to die. If all you care about is the final outcome, I'm warning the final outcome is old age and death. Is that what you waited for? Is that what you stockpiled this for? What's for when you're old? Well, he'll paint quite a picture for us of what we think we're waiting for in old age to maybe redirect our energies. But the first one is quite simply before you get old. I want to show you how that works. Jump back up into verse 8 of how we know this is what he's saying in verse uh, chapter 12, 1. So in verse 8, if you're there, in 11, 8 with me, if a person lives many years, let him enjoy them all, or rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Now again, we might immediately think, oh, he's speaking of death in the afterlife. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. He is telling you, remember, you're going to be old. And it, the, 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 the old days will be, in his words, many and it might be many in the terms of its difficulty. Let me show you how. If you jump from eight, uh, the last of eight, jump down to 12 where we just currently were. Because in eight, he says, the days of darkness will be many. 12, one, enjoy your life before the evil days come. So now he's saying darkness days, which is uh, 11, eight. Then he's saying evil days, 12, one. And then he says, during these evil days, the Years, which connects with the many of 11.8, there's many of them, and he's putting forward to you years of being elderly, draw near, of which you will say what? I have no pleasure in them. 
do you see what he's sewing together here? He is not saying before you die. He's saying even before you age, enjoy your life. Young marrieds, don't just look to the end when you're sitting on your porch and somehow you think you've got 13 grandkids running around and you're on some huge mansion somewhere with rolling hills and all is grand and great. Meanwhile, you're just digging it out so you can get there. It's not how it works. Enjoy your life. The person you're married to, enjoy them. It takes work. Do it. Don't wait to the end where you have this brood. Today, enjoy it. Spend some time together. Go someplace together. Go to dinner. Have a good time. Play with your kids. Don't think, now I'm waiting until they're, how do you know you won't be dead? Don't wait. Enjoy it. Seize upon it. You notice that I'm grounding this in the language of before you get old, because he cannot be speaking of the evil days as far as you pass on into eternity. And the clear fact is because by the time we get to 12.1, you are very self-aware. You are a self-conscious individual in this final picture of the days, the days that are dark, the days that are evil, and the years that encompass them, because you are the one in the rocking chair saying, I have no pleasure in this. You're the one at the retirement care center. And no one's come by in three months. You say of it because you can't get from here to the buffet table. I have no pleasure in these days. This is the picture he's painting. So don't wish your life away. Enjoy it before you get old. The second portrait here to the young and the entrepreneurial, those who are just getting started in life, which is the same audience we know from the very first outset sermon of chapter one. He says, secondly, before life is dark and gloomy. He gives you yet a kind of another picture of the escalation from the first before. First, you're getting old and, and you, you want to seize upon your youthfulness and your trajectory and, 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 and savor life right now because you want to do it also, consider more, before life is dark and gloomy. Look at verse 2. That's our second before. It says you, you, you want to, light is sweet and savor it before, verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. You, you see, it's a, it's a contrasting of the blessing of verse 7 of chapter 11. Look at the blessing to the young. Life is sweet. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Well, then seize upon it. Live with vigor. Because you want to do it before the sun, that is the sun of verse 11, it's gone. And the light that you took pleasure in, a new day is dawning, pregnant with potential. Well, now the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. Life gets dark and gloomy to the old. We're not putting anyone in, we're not, you know, preaching ageism here. We're talking about 
if the Lord was so kind. You would live a long and and grace-filled life. Your faith will grow. The relationship with the Lord will sweeten. But don't kid yourself. You're not going to be 25 forever. And that's not a bad thing. It is to the one who doesn't recognize that they're in their 20s now. And simply wishes it all away and is always moving to the next thing. Well, it is kind of a bad thing. Because they're going to arrive upon old age quickly. And they're going to turn around and go, I thought I was 26. And your wife's going to say, sometimes you still. Well, (laughs) you're not. You know, you'll have a picture of a granddad, right? And he's, he's still wrestling seven and eight-year-olds, his grandchildren. And he quickly, during that time, finds out in his mind he thinks he's going to whoop these boys. And he finds out he's on his back on the carpet. And he thinks quietly to his wife, I thought I was in my 30s still, my 20s. And the wife gently reminds, as the grandboys do, Grandpa, you're not. It's good for Grandpa to know that before he's Grandpa. One author comments about the days that are dark and gloomy. Perhaps you know it resonates what he'll suggest to us about this text. It'll resonate because we have older folks we love, our, perhaps our parents or our grandparents and so forth. He says this, and we need to be mindful of this, and I think we probably are because we've experienced it, but he says, quote, elderly people. And this is what he's describing here in verse um, 2. Elderly people receive one setback after another. They fall and break a hip. They're susceptible and easily catch pneumonia. A child that they look upon has marital problems. Another gets in trouble with the law. Perhaps it is that a good friend dies. It is often one depressing thing after another. So says the preacher, the clouds for the elderly return and they are always full of rain. It's not like it went away. For those that are getting older, life gets darker. Times get gloomier on an array of issues. So he says to you, young ones, enjoy your life. Don't wish it all away. Daily, there are pleasantries, graces, mercies, and gifts in the lives of others and in your own for you to savor and enjoy. The third portion of the third before, that is before you get old, before all just begins to kind of unravel, that is life is dark and gloomy. The picture in verse 7 of the reversal of blessing, or 7 is the blessing, the reversal of that very same blessing where life was sweet and full of savory goodness. It now is dark and the clouds return 
after the rain, and that is verse 2. And then the third, before your entire life has ended. This is the last before, and I want you to see it, uh, how, how it crescendos there in, in the final moments where he's warning you, your life, it's not if it will end, it's when it will end. So he wants you to be cognizant of that in your daily life and allow it to shape the pleasantries of each day of fresh air and beautiful sun. Verse 6 is where you find that third before. His exhortation, enjoy your life before the silver cord is snapped. Okay, so, so already kind of go with me there on the silver cord. We'll, we'll just kind of in our minds, we're going to imagine already the word picture that he is painting, and it's a cord that is, you know, stretching from one wall to another wall, and it's beautiful, it's elegant, it's sparkling with beauty. It's a thing to be pleasant to the eyes and, and, and savored to those who look on. It is this beautiful silver cord that is dangling. So go with him as he says, before that beauty, before that silver cord, is snapped. Or the golden bowl is broken. Now, now you're, you're advancing the word picture in your mind from the beauty of the golden chain, or excuse me, the silver cord, to the beauty of a golden kind of um, vessel or bowl. Or maybe you can in your mind picture with me just a beautiful gold shimmering lamp. Like a lantern. And it's hanging from that beautiful cord. It's glistening. It's eye-catching. It's eye-popping. It's, it's beautiful decor. It's well-appreciated by all who acknowledge it. So you've got that taking place in this golden bowl or this lantern is hanging. And he says, or the pitcher is shattered and the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. What happened to the beautiful golden bowl? It is broken. What are we to presume about that beautiful gold bowl or lantern that we just saw hanging? It had oil in it. That is, that it, that it, that it fueled the vessel for life. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, that whole picture snaps and falls to the ground. The pitcher hits the ground and it shatters. Or the wheel is broken at the cistern. And this is what he's getting at. Verse 7. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That is, the preacher is comparing life in verse 6 to a precious vessel. This bowl is hangling upon a beautiful silver cord. That is the picture of your life. Life, if we were to put the beauty of the, of, of the silver cord and the beauty of the lantern together, he's simply saying, step back and look, isn't life beautiful? Enjoy it, because the cord will snap and the vessel will fall and shatter on the ground. It won't last forever. Suddenly one day it happens. The bowl falls to the floor. The oil keeping it burning is spilled, and the lamp is forever gone out. You're dead. I can quite safely say it'll happen to everyone in this room. To the young, don't wish it all away. He gives a vivid portrait of death and dying. I want to zero in on that just for a brief moment as he warns you. Look at the text. He, he really piles it on here. I want to kind of walk through some of these pictures of those who he's warning. Don't wait until these days lay hold of you. They will lay hold of you. 
verse 3 of chapter 12, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Uh, just for maybe you have that in a study Bible, maybe you've studied this passage before. I'm just going to kind of mark out each one of these comments of what he's kind of describing here so you can get a picture of what he's really kind of poetically putting together for you to think about the reality of your own death and that despair you forward or, or to push you forward to enjoy life every day. He says the keepers of the house tremble. In your mind, what do you think of a, of, of a man who stands ready to defend his home? Or he is the keeper of his home. That is simply his hands. And he's warning you to lay hold of life because you're going to get old and the keepers of that house today, you're young, you're ready, you're combat efficient, you're ready. If a perpetrator was to come in, you're ready to guard the house. You're ready to work for its good. These hands are put to use for the good of my family. They're the gatekeepers of my home. And he says, son, one day they will be trembling. No longer will you be able to defend He pushes the picture of getting old a little bit further and he says the strong men are bent. The strong men that are bent are connected to the hands that are trembling. That is, the legs weaken. Thus the launch of the hurricane. And the grinders cease. So here's yet a picture of, of, of eating. And, and why are they ceasing? Why aren't you just taking down your dinner like you do in your 20s? Why are you sipping some broth? Because you don't have a lot of teeth left. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. That one's quite obvious. The picture of the man's hands are trembling. His legs are weakened. He barely eats and now his eyes can barely see. Enjoy your life. The doors on the street are shut. What is that a picture of but one who doesn't desire to really be able to get out of the house much? They just don't get out. They stay in. We call these shut-ins. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, that's an early bird special originally put in the text. He's up before the first bird is chirping its song in the morning. Everyone knows that. You go to bed at 5.30 in the evening and wake up at 4 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning. He, he, he's just, he's to bed before anybody else, and he lives most of his days before anybody else is up. He, he, he is a light sleeper, having a hard time getting good rest. And the daughters of song are brought low. He, 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 he's raspy. You know, he, he, he sits and he says, so that he can speak when you're closer. He, he doesn't have the, ah. It's just, it's not, it's not there. It, it, it's quiet. It's gentle. It's winding its way down. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high. We all know, that, you know, they're not looking to climb the stairs anymore. They need a ranch home to live in or a single floor unit. They, they can't maneuver the steps anymore. Terrors are in the way. They're worried, fearful, in the dark. The almond tree blossoms is actually a picture uh, of the almond tree blossoming. It provides white, and so their hair is turning white. It's just how it works. 
The grasshopper drags itself along as yet a picture of vitality and energy. It's very spry and ready to roll. He's got hands that are ready to fend. He eats his dinner at mealtime, and he's agile and ready. Well, not always. The hands begin to tremble. The eyes begin to weaken. The ears begin to not really hear well. The voice is not strong. And he's kind of dragging along. Desire falls. That is, the desire still stays within the stride of his eating. He, he's not eating much. Um, he doesn't have many teeth, and he can't really take down a meal. He's really just not even desirous that much of eating. This is kind of moving. And if, if you've cared for folks or, or grandparents or you've met them, you see that this is kind of how this text really fleshes itself out in time. Or if you're in the medical field, perhaps you know the, the, the steps of how someone is winding down their providence. That is, they don't eat much. Did they eat? That Usually with an older folk, you ask, did they, have they been eating? Or, or how much do they eat? It's, uh, the doctor asks, have you been eating? Th this is an aspect of just getting old where one says, I, I don't even want to really eat much. And, and he finally levels it out. This is going to happen because man is going to his eternal home. He's dying. And the mourners go about the streets. His silver cord has snapped. His golden bowl has fallen. His pitcher is shattered. And his fountain has been spilled. The wheel is broken at the cistern, meaning there's no water really even to get he has died to the dust he has returned from where he has come. The spirit has returned to the God who gave it. So the final question I have then for you in reading this text and looking at 11 and 12 together is the question is this. If we ask the preacher and I'm asking you this morning to put your emphasis of your time under the word here. What am I to do with the few days that I have and I pass them like a shadow? What am I to do with them? And the answer from the text is you see it there in verse 8. Or excuse me. Um, yes, verse 8 begins, rejoice in every day. Verse 9, rejoice in your youth. And verse 1 of chapter 12, remember your creator in the days of those youth. In other words, putting it quite straightforwardly, it is this, rejoice in your youthfulness by remembering your creator at every pass. This is not a life of lasciviousness where he says, just take off and go. Just go off and run wild. He's given us statements like that that have caused us to pause and plunder what it is that he is saying. And he is saying consistently the same thing. He's not saying throw off all that kind of sets a hedge about you, all godly wisdom. He's saying within the scope of a relationship with the creator. By calling your relationship to mind. Live your life for his glory. And enjoy each and every day he gives you. He has grounded your life again and again in God who gives everything. Within that theater, seize life by the horns. Live by faith every day. Take great privilege of the graces and the relationships, the marriage, the children, the job, the providence, the kindnesses, the people, the places, live well within those graces. If I were to give you one quick definition as we wind down our time, what does it mean to remember your creator? 
It means to bring to mind daily what your creator has done for you. To act then in accord with this knowledge. What does it mean for a young person, young adults, young marrieds, or any on the spectrum of youthfulness to remember their creator therein, to bring to mind daily what he has done for you, and to act in accordance with this knowledge. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6.20 as I wind down our time together, he says it like this, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is what it means to recognize what my creator has done for me. That I am not my own, but I've been bought with a price. And to act in accordance with this knowledge is to bring glory to him in the kind providence that he has given to me. I conclude with this final statement from Heidelberg. We've covered Heidelberg Catechism as a ministry together for one year. A great joy to go through the Heidelberg Catechism. And Heidelberg opens with this very first question and answer, which is the entire scope of this text. What is your only comfort in life, which is in your youth? Young men, young girls... Everyone in between, old and young, what is your only comfort in your youthfulness? And your only comfort in your dying. So from where you're starting and from where you're ending, you own Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. I'm starting, I'm going to savor, and I'm living with the reality that I'm going to die. So I'm here and I'm... I know I'm going here, and everywhere in between, I have only one comfort that stands out to me. It certainly isn't life, because life is filled with risk. That's not my only comfort. Heidelberg says it is this, and I trust you would say amen. That I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul, in life and in death. To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly, right, here, not here, but he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly from here all the way to here, willing and ready to live for him. Enjoy your life by submitting by faith unto your creator, by recalling to mind what he has done for you and acting in accordance with that knowledge. Don't wish your life away.
Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you'd give wisdom to our days, that you would teach us wisely, as the psalmist says, to number them. That we live within and underneath this text that instructs us from your holy word to live for you by remembering what you have done for us, by living and springing forth from that gratitude that you have made us willing until we do die, to live for you, for your glory, to receive the good gifts. Let us not spurn them and throw them away, always complaining and wishing we had something else. But Lord, you have provided. Let us seize upon that provision, rejoicing in you and your kindness daily. We ask all of this in your precious name, amen.